My name is Jade Membry, and I'm the other half of Trent Membry. We are uh, lead pastors in a town called Whangarei, which we've just planted a church there 10 months ago. Um, it's flourishing. We started, uh, before we even started interest meetings, we had 60 people with us. Um, now we've got about, averaging between about 130 and 170 people a week, and these are mostly new salvations, which is just so good. Um, we're reaching out into a, into a pretty broken community, and, um, and people are accepting the invitation of Christ, so it's amazing. Um, I'm also a mother. I have two young girls. I have an 11-year-old called Ella, and I have a 12-year-old called Kayla. Uh, they're the joy of my life. That's my first and foremost mission, is mothering them. Um, and Trent and I, we've been, uh, we've been doing this thing, we've been pastoring for about 10 years now, so uh, we started with kids and youth, and then we uh, began pastoring a campus out in South Auckland uh, in Monaco, and then we came into the Auckland um, campus, and we, we ran that for a little bit before we got called to Whangarei, and life is good, you know, life is beautiful up there, it's a beach city, it's, um, it's very laid back, it's you know, as I said, beach cities are surrounded in beaches and harbors and sailboats and sunshine. It's a subtropical climate. It's pretty beautiful. Uh, we've got beautiful people there. We've got beautiful friends in our lives. We've got beautiful pastors. You know, life is quite lovely for us. You know, the grace of God has brought about quite a beautiful situation for us. You know, but I haven't always been in that environment. You know, I came from really good roots, but I found myself off the rails and a very, very long way away from God. You know, and the thing is though, and what I really want to share here with you today is that I am proof, I am living proof that there is a God who is in the business of miracles. There is a God who is in the business of transforming lives. And you know, most of us here, we know somebody who needs a miracle, you know, some of us have somebody close to us who might even be going to, through similar things, you know, what I'm about to tell you. And I want to bring hope to you today if you know someone like that. I want to encourage you not to give up in your faithfulness. You know, keep praying. Gather intercessors. Create prayer chains. Remain faithful to God's word. Remain faithful to the church. You know, this alone could have changed my whole course of life. Keep reaching out to people and keep speaking truth to them. You know, don't submit to whatever the enemy is using to try to hold your loved one hostage. See, I'm unique in how I'm created and how I'm wired, but there is nothing special or different about me. I'm telling you, if he can take my life and if he can turn my life around, he can do it for anybody. You know, if he can bring me into his truth and into his love, he can do it for you or he can do it for the person that you're believing for. So I wanna pray, Lord God, I just pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would just fill this room with your presence, God. Lord, I pray that you would open up hearts, Lord God. Lord, that you would soften hearts, Lord God. Lord Jesus, I just break pride off this place, Lord God. Lord Jesus, I break humiliation off this place, Lord God. Lord, if anything stirs a chord for anybody, God, Lord, that they would be open to receiving your goodness and grace and love, Lord. I thank you, Jesus. So I've known about God for about as long as I can remember. 
But I walked years in the wilderness before discovering how real and amazing God really is. You know, before I realized that He actually had a plan for my life, that He loved me, and that my life could actually matter to God or even matter to somebody else. I'm going to take you way back in my past when I was about three years old. My parents separated, and by the time I was five, they had both remarried. To be really honest, my life, it was stable and it was pleasant. We lived very normal lives. You know, we lived in a good beachside neighborhood. I went to a nice little primary school and then I went on to a well-established private school. And we attended a popular Pentecostal city church. Life sort of carried on in this regular flow. However, when I was about 10 years old, our our church was faced with a moral circumstance that rocked our community. And this caused many families to fall away. Sadly, my family was one of the ones that left. And although I didn't understand why we didn't go to church anymore, I didn't really care. You know, I didn't really give it much thought. I was at an age where I was starting to feel like I was either unbothered about church or actually that I was just too cool for church. You know, at this young age, I hadn't been discovering God for myself. And I didn't really see the need for him. I didn't really see how amazing he actually was. And as I said, my life was good. And sadly, our departure from church only reinforced my thinking. You know, my parents affirmed my thinking that God wasn't necessary to life. So our church scattered and my family struggled to find another church to be a part of. And as you might imagine, we became very distant from God. Seldom would the word be read in our house. Christian music was not played in our home and personal prayer lives were not encouraged. You know, we said grace at dinner time, but that was it. And of course, unintentionally, new idols crept in. You know, I'm talking idols like social standing, homes, holidays, easy Sundays, brunches, sleep-ins, sports and recreation, shopping, And for me, it was friends. See, the thing is, is that we're all looking for something to be a part of. I was hungering for community. I was hungering for something that I was supposed to find in God and in the church. You know, we crave love and attachment as human beings. And when we don't find it in God, when we don't find it in God's people, we're going to find it someplace else. So as the years went on, for me, my friends and how I fit into society became my idols. My parents moved me from my little school, which was like a family. It was small and it was beautiful, to this huge private school where I felt like a completely inadequate fish out of water. So I quickly made friends with this group of girls, but looking back, I can see that we were all cut from a cloth that didn't really fit in with the school that I attended, that we attended. You know, we all came from very normal backgrounds, but we all had this bent towards really just pushing the boundaries. And we seriously pushed those boundaries. We pushed those boundaries with boys, with attention seeking, and with losing ourselves in partying and experimenting with drugs and alcohol. You know, I think personally, at this point, I felt I really didn't fit in anywhere. I was confused about who I was. You know, I certainly didn't fit in with the wealthy, high-flying girls that were better behaved at my school. 
Yet my behavior with my friends didn't seem to match up with the way I was raised. And added to this, things at home were different as well, and I started to feel like the odd one out. See, after remarrying, my parents had each had another child when I was in my early teens. So you can imagine, complete family over here, complete family over here, me here. You know, I saw them as having their own thing going on now. So losing myself in a perpetual world of, of, of just partying, that was my antidote to all of this confusion. And I carried on the party by leaving school and leaving home early and moving into a flat with my boyfriend. It was at this point that my life started to get out of control. See, when I was 17, I was introduced to a drug called ice and a downward spiral ensued. For almost a year, I somehow managed to keep this habit under control to some degree. I maintained a job, and I relied mostly on alcohol to fuel my appetite to party at the weekends. But the thing is with this particular drug is that it doesn't let you just pick it, down, pick it up and put it down as at will. You know, and I, I soon discovered that I was becoming addicted fast. I also discovered that year that I was 12 weeks pregnant. You know, my boyfriend at the time, he wanted absolutely nothing to do with this situation other than to drop me to a clinic to deal with this problem alone. You know, when I got there, this clinic didn't notify my parents that they had a minor in their clinic. And they interviewed me to make sure that I was fit for the procedure. You know, that interview could only be described as pressure put on from two professionals to absolutely go through with the termination and that leaving would be the end of me. So I went through with it and I was picked up hours later and I was delivered home and left to recover while my boyfriend and flatmates went out to party. You know, I thought I just had to harden up and get on with things. I had absolutely no idea that I had a right to grieve this experience and this baby. And I told nobody about it. I told nobody about it until a decade later. And the effect that this had on me carrying this, you know, the fear, the shame, the anger, the embarrassment, oh my gosh, the embarrassment, and the sadness and the remorse, they sent me to new levels of destruction. So eventually, as you might imagine, I did end up splitting away from that boyfriend. And with my girlfriends, I fell oh so happily into the jaws of Auckland City's nightlife. In this scene, I pushed it to the limit as hard as I possibly could as I tried to drown my pain. You know, I'd be the one who, when everyone had taken their taxis home, would still be dancing in the early hours and then making my way to some party at some hotel or, ho or, or some beautiful house the following day and then most often back into the city the following night and so it would continue. You know, it was really messy, but at the time I felt like it was glamorous. I was moving with people who had a lot of power on the Auckland scene, and although I'd find myself in some really seedy and really dangerous situations, I was also frequenting VIP rooms, five-star hotel parties, and beautiful homes. You know, the people I was surrounded by were all too happy to accommodate me and my addictions. And although I wasn't proud of what I was doing at this point, 
I was in way too deep. You know, I figured that at least in this world, I could drown myself, all my emotions, and all of my shame. So it was during this season, I met a man who was doing some incredibly big drug deals. And when he asked if I'd moved in with him, I decided that that would be a good idea. You know, a man, a free roof over my head, someone to supply my drug habit, it seemed all right to me. So we were living large. He was making some serious cash into the six-figure amounts. But as a result of having unlimited supplies of ice and other drugs, my habit blew up to out-of-control levels. You know, I was pretty much owned by this arrangement. I was smoking ice to live. I was taking ecstasy to make me laugh. I was, I was having a drug called GHB to get to sleep and another one called NOS to wake up. I was in a mess. I was in a dark, dark place. Emotionally, I was crippled. I was living with no care for my safety or for my well-being, and I was perpetually reaching for the next high in order to forget how sad and lonely I really was. You know, at this point, my partner, he decided to take a trip to Brazil to dry out for two weeks. This is what you do in that world, to get the drugs out of his system. But he left me at home to complete a $200,000 drug deal under the care of a minder. Bear in mind that at this point, I was 19 years old. So it was during this deal that I met my now husband, Trent, a few times over the course of the week. And I was drawn to him in the most indescribable way. I can only describe it as maybe God. You know, but a long story short, Trent was moving with some of the people I'd been hanging out with before I met this man. And through Trent and through these people, I was removed, or you could call it rescued, from the situation I was in. And Trent and I began a relationship together. You know, we fell hard and fast for each other, but we were still in the world. You know, life was not better yet. In fact, within a matter of months with Trent, I discovered I was pregnant again with our first daughter, and she's very much well and alive. You know, the, di the, the difference this time was that I'd been there before, and there was no way that I would be able to face the trauma of destroying this baby. And thankfully, despite his own addictions, despite his own fears, despite his own mess, Trent was already inherently a good man, and he stood by my decision. I can tell you right now that this is no way to start a family. You know, being pregnant so young and so naive, trying to figure out how I was going to survive with a baby and manage my addictions was one of the most difficult seasons I have ever faced. I cannot even begin to explain the toll that it took on me emotionally and, and physically. So after Kayla was born, we tried to piece together this sort of family life, but Trent was still struggling enormously with addictions for another six months. And I also still dabbled in and out of drug use trying to get close to him. You know, I battled with our extreme poverty and I, I battled with postnatal depression while I was trying to figure out how to be a mother to a newborn. You know, we lived in very poor conditions. We lived on one domestic purposes income, which is about $200 a week between us. But God, 
See, God was pursuing us. He never stops. And he was setting up divine appointments. He was answering prayer chains that my parents and step-parents had established. And you know, while our parents were battling spiritually for us, Trent and I were trying to create this illusion of things being okay. See, our family were allowed back into our lives, but not allowed into the extent of our mess. You know, we had too much pride. You know, and part of this mess was that Trent would frequently disappear to use or to do business for days at a time. But one of these times when he went AWOL, I finally had enough and I discovered the courage to move out and get help. You know, I remember one day I looked down at my baby and I remembered God. I remembered church. I remembered the lunches. I remembered the camps. I remembered the dinners. I remembered the home groups. I remembered the God that I had known so many years ago as a child. And it was like this touch point reminding me of everything that was good in the world. You know, I wanted that goodness. I wanted that wholesomeness. And I'm telling you here today, do not cease meeting together. You know, it's not just for you that you're here. The richness of your community is experienced and remembered by others with you. They need it as a true north. So in that moment, I realized that my life mattered to this child. And I wanted more for her. And so began this amazing journey toward God and his incredible plan for our lives. Now, at the same time as I was moving out, get this, Trent, who had gone out for a quick use, found himself in the middle of a traumatic gang kidnapping. He was kept and he was tormented for days. He, and he cried out this prayer, like this God, if you're real prayer, to a God that he didn't even know yet. And only a few kilometers away, with the realization I had, I prayed the first prayer that I'd had in years. These individual prayers, I believe, during the same few days were the catalyst for everything changing. You know, Trent was actually set free minutes later and I had the courage to go and seek help and completely 100% open up to my family. You know, it took time, but God was moving and together we managed to find our way through rehabilitation. You know, we got married. We found our way into a church. We got baptized. Get baptized next Sunday. Do it. You know, we were discovering who God was. We made beautiful new friendships. We reconnected completely with our entire extended families. You know, we had another baby. We saw our daughters flourish in the house of God. We began paying back debts, and oh, we had debts. And we began building a little house around ourselves. You know, we pressed into God. We pressed into church. We made absolutely sure that we were at a service every single weekend. We were so intentional about making friends, and we were so intentional about being in a connect group. You know, we hungered, we sought after discipleship, and we began leading ministries, and eventually began pastoring and discipling others. You know, I remember thinking in my darkest days, what is the point? I am such a complete and utter waste of space on this planet. I remember thinking I'm no good to anybody, and I remember incredibly dark, you know, just end it, Jade, thoughts coming into my head when I was alone. You know, I really thought 
that I could be so reckless with my life because I didn't matter. In fact, even at the very start of our journey with God, when, they, when we were new Christians and we was, when we were starting to realize that there was a way out of our mess, Trent and I still didn't realize our potential to actually matter. You know, we just thought we'd be just sitting in the seats. I remember us saying to each other when we were recently saved, you know, we said, oh, why did we have to go through all of that? You know, why couldn't we have had one of those nice stories like all the other people in church have? You know, how embarrassing. What could God ever do with our rubbish story? What use will we ever be to anybody? But what God has shown us is that he wastes nothing. You know, through our testimonies, through us being able to relate to others, he has been able to touch so many people. You know, we've seen hundreds of people saved through our story. I would say thousands of people saved through our story. We've had hundreds of people personally thank us for our vulnerability. And hundreds say that through our honesty, through our ability to relate and understand, and through us sharing God's grace, that they have actually, for the first time, been willing to talk and to surrender to maybe encountering God. You know, we thought that we were worthless. We thought our experiences were useless. We thought we'd disqualified ourselves from being useful or necessary to the kingdom and that we would just be observers, that we would be bystanders, that because of what we'd done, we wouldn't really be part of the family on this Christian journey because of where we'd been and what we'd seen and what we'd done. But no, God took those crowns that he had set aside for us and he placed them firmly on our heads and sent us on a royal assignment. He has crowns for you and he has an assignment for you. You know, it just doesn't matter how perfect we are. It just doesn't matter how bad we messed up last week or last night or whenever it was. You know, it doesn't matter about your thoughts. It doesn't matter about the secret you're carrying. It doesn't matter how hopeless your situation or the situation of your loved ones. There is no limit to God's love and there is no limit to God's power. And the truth is that quite possibly the very thing that you're holding from him, the very thing that you're struggling with, the very thing that you're battling with in secret or the issue that has to be overcome, that is the very thing that he is wanting to use. He has forgiveness for every single person in this room and every single person that you're believing for. I just want to read the scripture, which is the scripture that I sing over my own life. It's Isaiah 1.18, where it says, Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. And then in 1 John 1 verse 7, we're assured in the New Testament that this is true when it says so clearly, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You know, God forgives us everything through our faith in Jesus alone. He cleans us white as snow and he uses every experience we have been through to touch the lives of others. You know, he takes our life 
And he tells us, your life matters to the one I am sending you.